Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. When I had my injury issues and I was coming back after a hamstring injury or a back injury, I really struggled for the first you know, few games at least, especially with my soft tissue injuries, especially with my hamstring and calf injuries, because for me, the wins were just getting through the game, which is a bad mindset to have. I hated being injured. I hated being off the field. I hated not playing because I love playing. I was just trying to stay on the field. I was trying to stay on the park and stay fit which for performance wise that's a bad mindset to be in because you know like I wasn't caring what like bowling wise what was really happening happening at the other end I was just hoping that I'd get through the game without you know blowing out my hamstring again hi I'm Shane Watson and welcome to lessons learned with the greats I've been so incredibly lucky to have chatted to some of the greatest ever cricketers but this week the tables are turned Aussie legend Mike Hussey will be interviewing me about everything that I've learnt during my career. I am most definitely not calling myself a great in any way, but through all of my experiences and the conversations that I've had with these incredible cricketers, I thought now is a good time to get all of my lessons that I've learnt throughout my life out there for everyone to listen to. Mike and I were having so much fun during our interview that we went a little over time. So this week's episode will be split into two parts. This is part one with part two already available wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. No, I'm not Shane Watson. This is Mike Hussey here and I have the great privilege of interviewing Shane on his very own show. Well, Watto, what a journey you've had starting out from Ipswich, country Queensland, playing for Tasmania, Queensland, New South Wales, county cricket for Hampshire. I think I counted at least nine T20 franchises around the world. And of course, representing Australia in 59 tests, 191 day internationals and 58 T20 internationals. Welcome, Watto, to your very own show. (laughs) You've pretty much seen and done it all. And you must have learned so many lessons along the way. How does it feel to be on the other side of the mic? (laughs) Look, um, look, I want to thank you, Huss, for, for doing this. Um, look, it's it's nice to be able to be on the other side, I suppose, because there's a lot of, you know, I, during the, the show and episodes, I always try and, you know, put get my thoughts out there and the learn uh, the lessons that I've learned throughout my career. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to get um, peppered by you, Huss. <laughs> uh, you're a good man for doing this. And, um, yeah, look, I've had – it's been a – um, I've been incredibly fortunate throughout my whole career um, to be able to play in all those, a lot of different teams. And as you mentioned, um, all those different teams I've played in met a lot of incredible people and um, learned so much from all the people, uh, so many people that I've played with. 
Well, I think what I've admired about your career so much is how you've evolved with the game and, and shown so much resilience, I guess, through numerous setbacks, particularly injury-related along the way. Um, I guess our careers kind of went side by side and, and I certainly remember when you started as this firebrand fast bowler playing for Tasmania, charging in, um, bowling extremely fast, uh, but then suffering a number of back injuries. I think you had at least three sort of stress fractures in your back um, and then you're having to come back, show that resilience, come back time after time and, and turning yourself into a, an extremely effective and skillful uh, sort of swing and seam bowler, you know, throughout your career. Also from a batting sense, how you adapted from in the longer form of the game, being a, a middle order player and, and then turning yourself into a, a very fine opening batsman in test match cricket. Uh, not, not an easy thing to do. Uh, watching you in uh, one day internationals, uh, particularly at the top of the order, just how destructive and, and devastating you were there. And then when T20 cricket came along, you know, watching you, how you learned to master that game um, as it sort of grew as well. So I guess a couple of my highlights of your career um, Probably the first one is your first test match century against Pakistan at the MCG. Uh, after you got close a couple of times with a few 90s along the way, but to do it, you know, to break through that barrier, you know, score the triple figures at the MCG in a Boxing Day test. And I remember your mum and dad were there as well. So, you know, I, I felt, you know, fantastic just to be there to, to witness that amazing innings. Another highlight was your twin um, one-day international centuries at the Champions Trophy in South Africa. Uh, Virtually won us the tournament off your own back, um, beating, you know, scoring 100 against England in the semi and then another 100 against New Zealand in the final. I think that's some of the best one-day batting that I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and, then, and then I guess the last one that stands out to me is when you took six for 33 against Pakistan in a test match at Headingley, where you put your, your skills with the ball on show. You just had that ball swinging around corners and um, it was amazing, amazing to watch, you know, you execute your skills on that day. But what about you? What are some of the highlights that stand out to you throughout your career that you're most proud of? Yeah, look, when you mentioned those things, they were definitely uh, incredible, incredible days and very, um, they're the days that you, the, that you dream of putting and you know, bringing all your skills together. And, you know, all those, those three, those three times that you suggest that you mentioned, like there's so much in the lead up to, you know, every, every one of those. Um, but, and we'll probably touch on it at some stage in some, in some areas, but look, the, probably the ones that stand out for me the most are, are two really, two of my highlights in my career is, and it's all to do with the team. It's a, it's a thing that you're involved in. And one was the, the Ashes series um, at home that, that we won five nil. Um, after yeah. after the previous Ashes at home, we we lost, and it was like one of the biggest disgraces in Australian cricket is to lose an Ashes series at home um, to be able to, and then lose the Ashes series um, in England when we came fairly close. That was a, a huge like that was an amazing time. That was the first time that I personally felt, and I'm going to be really honest here, is the first time that I felt that the Australian public was totally behind every single person in that team. There's times where there's normally someone in the gun. <laughs> there's normally at least someone, one person in the gun, if not a few that are in the gun from the media, from the public. It's like, he's not good enough. Like get rid of him. He's junk or whatever it is. Whereas that time traveling around, you know, through those five test matches, traveling around, it was like the whole nation was behind every single player. And that was a really special, a really special time. So that's one of the times like the SCG after we'd won that, the fifth test, walking around the ground, that was like a moment where you just want to pause and you just want to be in it for like forever. 
because that was an incredible time to be able to share with your your mates that endured, especially the previous couple of years. There was a few downtimes in there, <laughs> including being suspended from a test match. So there's a few downtimes <laughs> around that. Yeah. So that was when you know when things really come through and you you have to suck up the the not so good times. That's when you really appreciate it. And the second one, there's there's no question the 2015 World Cup. Um, to be able to win that at home, that was always as a um, coming into the Australian, in and around the Australian team from a young age. It was always that was the the pinnacle. I, I, I can't remember exactly when it was announced that the Aussie, Australia was going to hold the World Cup. I can't remember what year it was. I don't know, early two thousands, mid two thousands. I'm not sure, but I always had that in my mind. Is imagine if I can still be playing for Australia at 34 and be a part of an Australian team hopefully winning the world cup like what an incredible achievement what an incredible moment that would be and for that to actually to come come about and be a part of it and then again to be able to walk or to be on the ground as i missed out an opportunity to hit the winning runs fluffed around that <laughs> <laughs> smudged in it and to be in the middle when that happened was incredibly special that's my most you know most special personal moment on the field but then to be able to walk around the mcg it's still just about packed with my, like so many of my mates that I'd played, I'd grown up with like Mitch Johnson really stands out to me the most because, you know, we'd been playing together and being mates since we were 16. So we had to walk around the MCG knowing the, the experiences and the different challenges and, you know, things that we'd been through throughout our life and our career to be able to walk around the MCG and sort of bathe in that, um, in that moment was again, something you just want to pause press pause and just be there forever. But that's not life. <laughs> but that was, those are the two things. So of course you mentioned those individual things and they, yeah, they were really um, personal, really um, satisfying moments. It's no question when you're able to bring your skills together at a, at a really important time that you feel. Um, but mm. the team ones are the ones that really stand out the most because that's when collectively you bring everything, everything together. It's a perfect storm in a way of everyone being at their best. And that's something that you're always chasing in a, in a team environment other times where you really cherish the most. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned they were two incredible teams that you were talking about there, that Ashes team and that World Cup winning team in 2015. And, and you mentioned the great public support that you were getting from the outside and you're playing with some of your mates in there, but were there any other ingredients that made those teams so special and so great? It's, a, it's an, that's an awesome question, Huss. And that's the thing that you're always um, in a team environment, you're always trying to chase this, this perfect, um, this perfect storm. And there's so many times throughout my career where you just got a feeling that something special is happening. It's hard to really articulate. You can't just, it's hard to really say, Oh, this is the reasons why it just feels right. But Mm. it just, there's time, so many times through my career, which I've been so fortunate to be involved in so many like a mate, like great teams and successful teams, you've just got a sense that things are just falling into place perfectly. Mm. And like for me, um, like the 2007 world cup, like you could just sense everyone was like, everyone was at their best. Everyone who was there was just in their, in their, in their right space. Um, Rajasthan rules, uh, 2008 that way you could just sense even from the first like couple of weeks is like, something special is happening here. You just feel that everyone pulling in the same direction. Um, And again, that was those times that the one that you mentioned, 2009 champions trophy. Yeah. We were a very different team in 2009 champions trophy compared to the 2006 one that we won in India. It was like, Glenn McGrath wasn't there. Adam Gilchrist wasn't there. Um, there's a lot, a lot of like Damian Martin wasn't there. There's a lot of great players who'd 
who'd retired. Mm. Um, so that 2009, but even I, I, I just got a sense early on that there was something really special that's happening because it wasn't the same team. We had, we didn't have all these greats in our team, but you know what? There's a lot of people who are at their best and everyone's just pulling in the same direction. So that's, it's hard to explain and articulate, but mm. that's, yeah. I suppose, leadership, leadership from the coaching staff from the captain, just being able to pull everyone together. That's an incredible skill that you know, I've experienced here with CSK. Um, in the last couple of years, especially 20, 2018, the cricket that the team played, you just knew that if the team was in trouble, for whatever reason, nine times out of 10, there'd be someone putting their hand up um, and, and reining, you know, reining that momentum back. So I said, they're, they're, the, they're the moments that you really cherish because it's not every time that you go into a team where those, you know, the perfect storm comes together. Yeah, you're right. It's hard to put your finger on exactly how to create that environment. And, but when it happens, you just got to enjoy it and go with the ride as much as you can. But let, let's get specific now and talk about a few skills of the game. And I want to start from a batting perspective. Um, what are your technical cues, I guess, that you try and stick to when you're batting? And, and I guess as a part B to this question is, do they change from when you're playing, say, test match cricket or longer form cricket and T20 cricket? Yeah, I've always – and my, my technical checklist has, has evolved a lot – from when I first started playing um, first class cricket, for example, all the way through to, you know, where they've sort of set settled now over the last sort of four or five years. Um, I do, I'm, I do have a technical checklist that I'm always working through every, just about every ball at, tra- at my training sessions as well, as I'm trying to you know, get into hitting the ball, being in the positions about to hit the ball really well. Um, I'm, I'm working through these um, technical checklists and look in the end from, from one format to the next, they, the only thing that really changed was going from a test match to, a, to a, say, a 2020 game was just when I'm in the power hitting zone and it's time to be able to really let go and take the bowling on. Yes, there was a technical component to it, um, which, for me was, which for me is getting into a powerful position, dipping my front shoulder, like really coiling up my front shoulder, making sure that I... Um, I do it early as well. So I do it before the ball, like the bowl is nearly even in his load up. Um, so then I'm hitting, I'm coiling up. So I'm, it's like a golf swing. So I'm hitting with my whole body. I'm not trying to power hit the ball just with my hands. So coiling up with my front shoulder, like more golf swing. So I'm harnessing all my, all my energy. And then as well, I'm opening up my front foot. So my, like my front foot in my stance, obviously you're, you're parallel to the, to the crease. I open up my front foot as well. So I keep my, my, my weight going straight down the wicket. I'm not closing yeah. off. So then I don't, it means if I, if I close off, then I haven't got access to all areas of the ground. So that is a technical component. And as soon as I get into my T20 hitting, um, my hitting position, but with test cricket and one day cricket, no, the technical skills and technical checklists were exactly the same. Like, which is as the bowls, as the bowls about to start running in, making sure my eyes are level in my stance. Cause you tap your bat, you can get a bit lazy and your eyes just tilt a little bit. So if my eyes are tilted, my perspective on the line, especially is going to be slightly out. So making sure my eyes are level, making sure my front shoulder is, is, um, is strong and my top hand is strong as well. It's not my bottom hand swinging my bat because if my bottom hand's gripping on too hard, then it pulls, it pulls the bat inside the line of the ball because my bottom hand's too strong. So making sure my top, my front side, my front shoulder, my front hand and my top hand is really strong. And then it comes down. Then, then I'm thinking about my timing. 
the timing of my press. So everyone's got a pre-movement. Well, some people don't. Some people stand still. I had a pre-movement of more so a front, a forward press when it came to test cricket especially. Uh, so I made sure that I did that and I did it early. So as the ball was about to be bowled, my head was dead still. My eyes were level and my head was still. So I had the best pers- mm. uh, perspective on the ball as it was coming out. Um, so, so they were my technical checklist. And then most importantly, watching the ball really closely out of the hand and all the way onto the bat. So if you're watching the ball all the way onto the bat as well, your contact point is right under your eyes. If I'm watching the ball out of the hand and then I'm not watching it all the way onto my bat, I'm nine times out of 10, I'm going to be early on my shot and I'm going to be hitting the ball slightly out in front of myself, which again, that's when you're hitting with your hands. You're not hitting with your whole body. So that's where playing under your eyes is where you're using your whole body to be able to hit the ball, not just your hands. So the other thing was in regards to T20, for me to evolve my power hitting, I certainly was not a power hitter at all. I When I first started, I was a four-day technically correct, more technically correct batsman who hardly hit the ball in the air. It was like my like my dad sort of told me, and I listened to Don Bradman, well, you can't get out if you hit the ball in the air, <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, in the end, it came to a point, I was like, well, there are more gaps in the air. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, so I had to evolve my power hitting because when I came into the one-day team for Australia in the one-day squad, I was batting at seven or eight. Mm. which I was lucky to be in the team, <laughs> but then I was batting at seven and eight and I didn't have the skill at that time to be able to go out in the, into the middle with 10 balls to go in a one day game and hit, if the ball was in the zone to hit it out of the ground. I, I did not have that skill at all and I got exposed. And luckily the team was that good that I hardly had to bat <laughs> because I would have bought it, got exposed even more so. So that was <laughs> like a process over the next sort of um, from 2002 through to really is through to 2007. I worked with Mike Young, who was our, who was our fielding coach, who was a baseball background um, on power hitting. And, and I was, I took, I took into consideration the bait, like a baseball batsman, their, their movements are better. And as the ball's thrown there, as the ball's pitched at them, their power's back at the ball. They're not waiting to see the ball and then moving. They're, as the ball's thrown, they're, they're going straight back at the ball. So they've got momentum with their body, with their legs, with everything to be able to go back at the ball. So I worked with Mike Young on that for, that was like five years to be able to get it to a point where in the lead up to that 2007 World Cup um, in the West Indies, which I was, I was batting at, I was going to be batting at seven while I was batting at seven during that tournament, I had developed my power hitting game that if the ball was bowled in in certain areas, I was in a position to be able to hit the ball over the, like over the fence. Yeah. Um, but that took a that took a lot of time, and that came from so initially my power my power hitting movements were like a baseball swing. So I was loading up my back leg, and then as the ball's bowled, I was just powering back at the ball. So I did that for a long a long period of time um, up until probably about it's probably around the two thousand um, and fifteen World Cup. I started to get a bit back on the ball. My weight, for whatever reason, I just wasn't getting, I was loading up my back leg, but then I wasn't powering enough back through the ball. So I ended up turning to, like during the World Cup, <laughs> after, around like around about the time I got dropped after one of the, um, the New Zealand game, I thought, you know, I've got to change it to a golf swing because I'm just, I'm, 
my weight's too back on the ball and I'm just, I'm missing ball. I'm missing balls. I should be hitting. So from then on, it was more of a forward press golf swing. Like, like my, my forward press was in my, you know, my test batting. So, and now that's what it's evolved to. It's involved, evolved to now when I'm in my power hitting state of mind and my technique, it is my forward press golf swing, like coiling up my front shoulder. So that's just how technically it's evolved and technically how it sort of changed from going from one, um, test cricket through to, through to T20 cricket. Yeah, it's amazing. And so it sounds to me as you've evolved over time, you've had to tinker a lot, but, but the message that keeps coming through to me is that you've had to figure it out for yourself. You do get a lot of advice from different coaches around the way. How have you been able to filter out all that advice to, to figure out what works best for you? That's actually the one of the, that's probably the biggest challenge in batting is ended up when I work with coaches, I ended up becoming, because I believed in their philosophy of batting, I ended up becoming just about a prototype of their coaching philosophy. Mm. So I initially, when I went to the cricket Academy, I worked on, um, you know, the basics that were taught to us. So I became a prototype of what they taught us, right. Which is very, it was a neutral position that you stand, that you stood in and, you know, it was contact point and just the basics, you know, basic sort of batting. Um, and then in the end, I, I started working with Bennett King who Bennett King was, um, he was a coach of the cricket academy after Rod Marsh. Is uh, a highly skilled um, head coach of, of Queensland for a period of time, and then the, in the West Indies. And I became he simplified my game down to becoming a bit more um, simplified with a swing, a shorter swing, so I was more compact, more technically. My defence was really good, but I didn't have as much flow with my batting. So I became a prototype of him. And then as the iterations sort of went through um, with Greg Chappell, who had a huge impact on my batting um, to really simplify it down to at release point. Um, his, his philosophy was at release point, all the best batsmen in the world are in the same position. They've got their hands are moving up and their foot, their front foot is in the air to be able to start moving forward. So I became a prototype of that, which really worked um, for a period of time. And then over time, little things do creep in. No matter how much you're trying to do the same thing, little things started to creep in. So ended up working with um, Mark O'Neill, who uh, Norm O'Neill's um, Norm O'Neill's um, son. And technically, his philosophies are, su- are really, really good. But the one thing again that I became, I became a prototype of his coaching philosophies. Instead of taking what a coach has and their, their information, but then just tailoring it towards exactly what is going to work best for me. So in the end, I worked with Mark O'Neill, became a prototype of his batting, um, batting philosophy. I became way too rigid. I became too much of a robot instead. Of, and I lost, I lost the flow on my hands. I lost the flow on my bat swing. And I felt like I was nearly there, but I never fully was. So what I've realized now is in the end, you are your best coach because you know all the intricate details of your own game more than anyone because you've been doing it since you're a young kid. You know what feels right when it's going well and you know when it feels slightly off. And when you, when it is slightly off, it is to go and source a coach to be able to help. There's no question. You need an outside influence who maybe has got a better knowledge than you on different parts of your game or, or of the batting technique. But then you have to work through it yourself to know, does it feel right? Does it feel nat- like, does it feel when I've grooved it? Does it feel natural? So then I can repeat it all the time. And most importantly, it's getting the best out of me, out of the skill that I've got and I play the way I want. So that for me now is I'm my best coach. Yes, if I need some, if it just feels slightly off, I'll definitely ask. Like um, with you, Huss, being the um, the batting coach of CSK, something slightly off, of, I'll come and ask you, go, what do you think? 
if I just can't define it exactly right at that moment in time. But in the end, for me looking at footage, like I'll before every game, I'll look at YouTube footage of me of some of the innings that I played when I was at my absolute best. And I do that for two reasons. One, the mentality to like mentally to know, okay, that's me at my best. So I go into the game confident. But also the other thing is the technical things that I might pick up. I might pick up might pick up one little thing that I go, that's I'm slightly off with that. And normally it's either I'm moving too late or my shoulders are too open in my stance. So I'm slightly inside out with my, with my, um, with my bat swing. It's normally only something little, but that's also why I watch, look at footage as well, because in the end, I know my batting better than anyone because I've seen it. I feel it, you know, every time I, I train and play. Uh, it's a great message about being your own best coach. But I guess as a young player coming through, you've got to go through that journey and, and get all the different ideas to figure out what your best is. What about from a bowling perspective? What technical aspects did you focus on to get the best out of yourself from a skill perspective, but, but mm. also from an injury prevention uh, perspective? Yeah, my bowling also evolved from a, um, technically from a, <laughs> from a young kid. Like at the age of 12, I got my first stress fracture on my back. Um, you know, because I always just wanted to be, I wanted to be the best fast bowler. I wanted to bowl as fast as I could. I wanted to be at that time like Craig McDermott or Murph Hughes. I wanted to be them. I wanted to bowl fast. So <laughs> that meant that I was just running in, trying to bowl as fast as I could, not thinking about my technique. Um, and, you know, my technique was very mixed. I was very open with my front shoulder, but um, side on with my, with my bottom half. And it was a constant sort of evolution, you know, over over the next sort of, you know, 10 years until I was like, you know, 20, 21, where I was like, you know what, I'm going to try. I am. I'm now physically strong enough. I've been doing a lot of work like I did at the Cricket Academy in, um, in 2000 to get big, like bigger and stronger to be able to then just push the limits of my body. So that's when, you know, I, can't, I burst onto the scene. Bowling is trying to, well, bowling as fast as I could, <laughs> which in the end didn't last that long because one, to be able to bowl, to like as fast as I did, I had to have I had to have counter a bit of counter rotation, which counter rotation for a fast bowler is that that's where you get your back injuries. You need to have the least amount of counter rotation because that's where under load, that's where that's just loading up the same spot in your back, and in the end, it ends up turning into a, a fracture or a stress fracture that turns into a crack. So, um, in the end, my evolution for my technique came to a point where. For me, I just had to make sure I side on. So every ball that I wrapped a bowl all the way through my career, I was focused on making sure that my front my front shoulder was closing off in front of my eyes. Because if my front shoulder was opened up, then straight away I was I was counter rotating, and my back would get loaded up, and I'd feel it within a couple of balls as well that my back was getting loaded up more than what it should. So that technically was um, really important. The other things that I had to work through wasn't just back in, back injuries. It was especially hamstring injuries, calf injuries as well, but especially hamstring injuries. And a lot of that came down to one overstriding in my run up. I was trying to run in, I was running in too fast and my running technique, I was just overstriding. So I was loading up my hamstrings way too much um, every single ball that I was bowling. So I had to really work on my run up to be able to make sure that I was running up correctly and the right running technique. So I wasn't overloading my hamstrings and, and my calves. So that was really, that was really important. But I suppose I ended up evolving to a point where because of my soft tissue injuries and my back injuries that I ended up pulling my, my bowling speed back because I couldn't bowl at a hundred percent 
like hundred percent every single ball. If I did, as soon as I did that, either my back would go over time or my hamstrings would, I'd, I'd hurt my hamstring. So I ended up sort of pulling it back to, you know, probably around 90%. So I'd run in at 90% and then I'd bowl at 90%. But that meant that because my pace was down, I certainly had to do something with the ball to be effective. Mm. I had to swing the ball. I had to do something. I couldn't just, even when I was bowling fast anyway, I wasn't swinging it. And the best batsman in the world, if not the best batsman in Australia, even if it's 145 Ks, if the ball's not doing anything, you know what? A batsman will, they're all over you. You're not getting them out unless they make a mistake. Mm. So it wasn't until I started swinging the ball where straight away, even if my pace was slightly down, I started, if the conditions are right, I was able to trouble even the best batsman in the world because swing, the ball moves late, especially if the ball's swinging late. As a batsman, you feel you're committed to that line and then it moves late and it's hard to adjust, especially if it's fast enough. So, and the, the technique that I, one by being side on with my front shoulder and my, uh, my bottom half, it meant that I had more chance of swinging the ball. But the one thing that I use, it's called the agate. It's a ball that, it's a ball that's sort of, um, the round part of the ball is cut off. So it's more like a, it's more like a square. It's the same weight as a, as a cricket ball, as a leather cricket ball, as a full size, 156 grams. But it's, it's an amazing coaching tool because to be able to swing the ball, you need to be able to angle the seam in your hand at a, at a decent angle. And then you're, to be able to get your fingers to go back behind the ball, you have to get it absolutely right. Otherwise, the ball like, just like flutters down the wicket. Um, but as soon as, you, as soon as I was able to use that and realize how, how angle my grip had to be to be able to swing the ball away, because my natural release point was the ball – um, the seam position dead straight, if not angled into a little bit into fine leg, which to be able to swing the ball, the only way you swing the ball is in. Um, mm. So for me to be able to swing the ball away, I needed an extreme angle of in my grip to be able to then get the ball to come out at the right seam angle to be able to swing the ball away decently. And the agate was an incredible tool to be able to just know whether it, my seam position was right or not. So as soon as I started using that, so I'd bowl it, I wouldn't bowl it to batters because it's going to smash up bats, but I'd bowl it in a, into a spare net as just to make sure my, my, my wrist was in the right position. The seam angle was right as well in my grip. And that was, that was when I started to be able to swing the ball, especially consistently away. My in-swinger was always, it wasn't my biggest swinging ball. It was always, it was always a, something that I was chasing to be a better, have a better in-swinger, but my out-swinger, that was in the end, that was my strength. The conditions were right. Um, mm. And that's why bowling in England, if the overcast conditions were right and you're using Duke balls, it'd swing all day, which is, uh, <laughs> which is what as a bowler, I'd, I love bowling in England um, as a, yeah. especially when there was overcast conditions, not so much as a batter because there's always something going on. How, how did you find the balance between getting your technique right and your running style and, and everything like that with your action, but then also having enough focus on getting the ball in the right area or, or trying to get batsmen out? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, that's the balance one. And it's the same as a, as batting as well. You, I'm trying to balance the focus on the process of my technical keys and my technical cues. Same with my, like my run up and my bowling it was okay. Same position in my, in my, in my hand as I'm about to run in and then making sure my, my techniques right with my run up and then making sure, you know, it's just a sequence of your thought process from a technical point of view. But then, of course, I needed to be focused on when I was at my best. I was focused on one: how's getting this person out? How's getting the guy out down the other end? Or how I was um, defending if they were going hard at me? What were the balls that 
from a defensive bowling point of view, what were the balls that were getting out of their hitting zone to be able to you know, limit the chance of them um, you know, taking me down? So that was the balance that I was always, you're always trying to chase. And the more you practice it, whether it's a training or in the game, the more seamless those, that flow of thought um, goes through. So without even really overthinking it, you're working through that checklist, every ball that you bowl. Uh, and, and the one, the other thing, which when I had my injury issues and I was coming back after a hamstring injury or a back injury, I really struggled for the first you know few games at least, especially with my soft tissue injuries, especially with my hamstring and calf injuries, because for me, the wins were just getting through the game, which is a bad mindset to have. I hated being injured. I hated being off the field. I hated not playing because I love playing. I was just trying to stay on the field. I was trying to stay on the park and stay fit, which for performance wise, that's a bad mindset to be in because you don't like, I wasn't caring what like bowling wise, what was really happening, happening at the other end. I was just hoping that I'd get through the game without you know blowing up my hamstring again. So, and it wasn't until the penny would drop and go, oh, I'm not playing, I'm not bowling very well <laughs> because wonder why, because I don't care what's happening at the other end. As soon as I was like, well, look, if it's going to, if I'm going to re injure my hamstring, if I'm going to re injure my back, you know what, that's going to happen. But up until that happens and then I'll, then I'll deal with it. But up until then, you know what, I've got to be focused on exactly what's happening at the other end because that's me being at my best is working through how, what I'm going to bowl, how I'm going to bowl to that, to that player, not thinking, oh, I just need to, I just need to get through. I just need to get through, make sure I get through without being injured. And then, and then we'll, then we'll see what happens. So that was a, like, if I had my time again, it would have been even coming back. Of course, I was always going to be a little bit cautious, but still doing it at 90%, but being fully committed to what's going down at the other end, not being at 90% and not caring what's happening at the other end. Cause you're just focused on getting through without blowing something out again. Yeah, it's such a such a mentally demanding game, and we'll touch more on the mental side of the game shortly. But um, but before that, I know you worked hard on your slips catching, and you're an excellent slipper. So so who helped you along the way with that? And and what are in your mind the key components to good slips catching? Yeah, I was very uh, fortunate to work with a lot of you know a lot of great people um, in and around slips catching. The one thing, what my strength was was balls that were in my sort of zone. For me, one of my strengths that wasn't, and I wish I worked on it more. Um, was my ability to be able to dive and take catches. That just, for whatever reason, it just wasn't, I didn't work on it. Uh, I don't know. It just wasn't my strength. But balls around me, in the end, I became like, I worked hard enough and I worked, well, I worked hard on being able to catch more balls that came to me. And two things that really, that really clicked, as soon as I got these things right, it made a massive difference to my ability to be able to take more balls that came my way. And one was my like pre-ball routine, every single ball that I was fielding in the slips. So, and for me, it was getting my timing of, so most guys will stand there with their hands on their knees a lot of the times, and then just like have their sort of hands out a little bit to be able to get ready as the ball's bowled. Then, you know, looking at the, either some people look at the bat, some people look at the ball coming down and follow, follow the ball. Um, Whereas for me, I need to get the timing right. So I would, as the ball's about to be bowled, as the ball is about to be bowled, I take a little step into, into position. So it means that I'm really conscious of the timing of a movement. So I'm switched on to then watch the ball. So for me, I follow the ball down. Unless I'm like, I, especially being a first or second slip, um, you know, if, if I was a gully, which I wasn't really, cause you were the master of that and need to take your spot. Um, <laughs> you'd watch the bat because it's, it's too hard to follow, like follow the ball from out of the hand. Well, 
I think it's, you know, you you know better than I do about that. But so that timing component was really important was getting into my, into my sort of squat position, but it's like a little step forward, um, which, so that's what worked for me. The other thing was making sure that my hands were out in front of me. (laughs) So then as if the ball, once the balls nick my way, then all I'm doing is actually just giving with the ball. My hands are already out in front of me, in front of me. As the balls um, comes away, I'm not pushing my hands out um, to then give with it. Because if you get the timing wrong, your hands going out, the ball hits it, which it can at times at the slips because it it gets big on you. It comes to you quicker than you think. The ball hits your hands really hard or hit my hands really hard and I wasn't going to catch it. So, it was keeping my hands out. So then as the balls, the ball comes my way, then it's, I'm only giving with the ball. And that made a big difference. One to timing because I didn't have as many movements, but, but two, it just kept it a lot simpler for me to be able to keep my head still as well. Um, and then just give with the ball as it came. But again, like if the ball was around my zone in my zone without diving, that's why first slip was a, <laughs> was a, a better position for me. Cause I didn't, I wasn't as agile as you know, as you or other guys that were, were able to dive and take catches. I was more just, yeah. Agility is not my strength. I've got other strengths, but that's not my strength. <laughs> and you talk about the timing there of, of getting that little step forward and getting your hands out. Did you have any strategies in place that if the timing didn't feel right or it wasn't right to, to, to get it back into the right sort of kilter? Oh, absolutely. I knew if it was slightly out because my as the ball was coming out, my eyes would be moving a bit, which meant that I didn't have a really clear picture on the ball being released. So right. like I just have, I've got to be conscious of it to go, okay, that ball was, I was my eyes moving. Did I picture actually really clearly pick up the ball coming out of the bowler's hand? And if yeah. nine times out of 10, if I hadn't, it was normally because I'd moved a bit too late and my eyes were bobbing around a little bit. My head was bobbling around a little bit as the ball, as the ball was coming out of the bowler's hand. Let, let's move on to physical training. Cause as mm. you've talked about already, you've had to endure oh, numerous injuries throughout your career. How did your physical fitness and strength training evolve throughout your career? And, and I guess what lessons have you learned? Have you done, done things mm. wrong that you wish in hindsight you m- might've done them differently? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of mistakes along the way, but that's part of learning, isn't it? <laughs> we all do. We all do. <laughs> My whole fitness regime's absolutely evolved over time. There's no question and I had to because I was making a, I made a lot of mistakes. Um the one thing that I did do was become became big and strong. So from the time I was 16, um I got into the I'd get in I got into the gym. I was doing uh fitness or weights uh, normally take my session would probably take me two hours. I'd be doing that three times a, three times a week, like every week from the age of 16. So by the time I got to, by the time I got to like my late teens, early twenties, I was physically very strong in my major muscles, in my big muscles. I didn't do much ab work. I just did sort of like standard ab work, but it was more token. Um, so I wish if I had my time again, Yes, I'd have done my strength work. Oh, it would have been more specific to cricket. It wouldn't have just been bench press or squats or shoulder press or anything like that. It would have been more cricket specific movements like single arm movements, uh, single leg sort of strength movements. But um, it would it would have been I would have done a lot as much as I would have done my weights. I'd have done Pilates and I would have done core because I was really strong upper body and lower body, but I had. I wasn't strong enough in my core, in my, in my abs to be able to um, harness the power that I had above and below my, my, my core. So 
Pilates, I would absolutely have done that 100%. And I wish, I wish I did. And I wouldn't, I've got no doubt I wouldn't have had as many soft tissue injuries as I had, if not back injuries. So that, um, the other thing that I learned was, um, well, yoga, and that was only the last sort of five or six years in my career was how important yoga was. So many people told me you don't want to get too flexible because you became, if you become hypermobile, then you cause like more joint issues, more joint injuries. So look, stretching a little bit of stretching, but no, you don't want to be too flexible, which like now I look back on it. Like I believe that philosophy is absolute junk because <laughs> when you, when you're young, right, if you really draw, draw it back when you're young in your, when you're eight, 10, whatever it is, do you get a soft, do you get a hamstring injury? Do you get a calf injury? No. <laughs> Why? Because when you're younger, your muscles are more elastic. There's more, yeah. there's more give as you're growing. But then as you hit your point where you stop growing, then because of your weights and all that sort of stuff, your muscles start to get shorter. So why wouldn't you then stretch and do yoga and that to lengthen your muscles and try and be trying to beat the, um, the aging component or the strength component that's shortening your muscles to try and get them and be your muscle fibers and that to be as long as they can. So that for me, just for me now it makes total sense. But why was I told don't stretch that much anyway? Cause you don't want to strength. You don't want to lengthen your muscles and be hypermobile. What a crocket. Like anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so yoga, I would have definitely have done that every time that I was training and playing. Um, and the last thing was just doing really once I, once you get that core foundation of your fitness in, which is what you do when you're younger. Like when I was at my, at the um, cricket Academy, it was like, you got some real great fitness foundation. But then once I got that down, it would have been doing more cricket specific fitness work. So whether that's running, it would have been, yeah, of course, at times doing as like, all the fastballs that I've talked to on lessons learned with the greats has been about getting like longer distance runs just to get that constant load, get your body having constant load because you need to as a fast bowler. But then it's, it's running between wickets fitness. It's shorter fitness. It's not doing one hundreds and two hundreds because for me, my body wasn't built to run that. And that was where I got, I'd get injured once I got fatigued. So that's what I would have done. And the other thing is, which makes me, it makes me very angry when I think, when I think about the different situations that I went through is in so many team, a lot of team environments, I got forced because it was a team thing. You got, I got forced to do team running sessions, especially that was so not cricket specific and, but we have to toughen up. We have to get fit. And this was during a season. This is like, and I'm just talking about playing for Australia. There was a number of times that we said, we need to toughen up. We need to go and like, let's show the opposition. Like there's a perfect example in, in England. I had a one day series there. Gosh, I forget what year it was. It might've been, uh, yeah, 2012. Cause it was Brett Lee's last, uh, last series, 2012. We're getting flogged. It was an off, it would come off an off season. We weren't playing that well. We're getting beaten. Third, third one to one day international was at edge bass. And it was It got rained off. It got rained off because the ground was really wet. <laughs> so England, of course, went inside and just relaxed. Whereas we, with um, Mickey Arthur and, um, and was like, okay, we need to show how tough we are. I was like, really? The ground's wet. It was like, nah, we need to do it. So we got, we had to go out and do a running session in the wet, longer runs, longer distance runs, all this sort of stuff. And I'd been playing, that was 2012. I mean, I had a period, a long period of time where I was highly injured because I was just 
is cricket specific fitness. Whereas this stuff was not cricket specific fitness. Mm. I tweaked my calf right at the end of the session. Mm. I was like, mm, that doesn't feel right. Okay. So we had another, the next uh, one day, we had a bit of a break in between the next one day, one international in, in Durham. And leading in that game, a calf wasn't feeling good. I was all around. I was bowling at that stage. It's like, God, yeah, I'm going to have to limp in. Like, it's not feeling great. And then one ball, just done. I, I got out early. We batted first. I got out early. And bowling, second innings, yeah, blew my calf out. Um, and that was like, well, that certainly did not need to happen. About, <laughs> about two overs later, Brett Lee came in, blew his calf out as well. Brett Lee never had a calf injury in his whole career. Right. Yeah. So that, that was an example where, and this happened like quite a lot was just doing a fitness session for the sake of it. The one wasn't fit um, cricket specific yeah. and it meant you were exposing people to higher risks of getting injured than what you really needed to. So those are things that hopefully aren't, don't happen anymore. I really hope they haven't because surely people are smart enough now to realize that, you know what, that doesn't work if you want to get people to toughen up, you can do it. You can bring the team together, but you can do different things. If someone's a bit more exposed to their body's not built to run, like mine is compared to yours, for example, Huss, you know what? I can do boxing. I can do other things that are that are still really tough and fitness wise, but it's not, it's not, there's not a chance of breaking, like breaking that individual. Um, and that's a thing that common sense isn't that common all the time. And this is a thing that, has happened way too many times and hopefully it's stopped because it's not good it's not good enough when these leaders or whoever's making these decisions are doing it for the wrong reasons and then are breaking people and it's putting people out of playing the game that they love bang well said (laughs) (laughs) no you're spot on though um definitely and and you're probably a good man to talk to about because of all the the journey you've had you know coming from you know having to endure so many injuries along the way you would have got a great awareness of your body and what your body needs to be ready Mm. to play the game so um yeah good advice well that's it for part one huss and i chat about mental skills the media and finances in part two which is available now wherever you get your podcasts